All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. You guys go ahead and find a seat. That would be great. That would be great. I want to welcome all of you that are worshiping with us here in our main auditorium, as well as you that are down in our gym. Uh, Thank you for being a part of our worship experience today here at New Life. I know it's a summer day and uh, man, people are just have all kinds of plans. Um, but thank you for taking time out of your schedule, uh, regular attenders, as well as a number of guests that we have in our, um, in our facility today. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come and put God first and worship him. So I know it has little to do with new life. It has everything to do with God. And today we want to help you have the, the most beneficial experience that you can hearing from God, hearing from his, his word, hearing his voice, and then, uh, and then applying his word to your life. Well, my name is Jeff Baker, and I'm one of the pastors on staff. So we're here today kicking off a brand new teaching series called Hide and Seek. So here's the way it works. Um, If you're new with us, or maybe you've only been around for the last couple of weeks, then the beauty of this is that we're all starting something new together. You're not jumping into the middle of anything. I mean, how many of us really like to jump into the middle of a group that already has a lingo, already has a bond, already has relationships with each other, right? And then all of a sudden you got to try to fit into the middle of it. Well, the beauty of New Life is that we preach in teaching series. And this gives you a great opportunity that if you stick around long enough, you get to start something new with everybody. And that's what we're doing today, hide and seek. So uh, that reminds me of the game. Um, and so let's just kind of talk about the game hide and seek for a minute. Anybody ever play hide and seek? Huh? If you played hide and seek, just put your hand up. Okay, very good. Very good. We've all probably played hide and seek. And um, you know how the game works, right? One person counts while everyone else goes and they hide. And then that person tries to come around, they try to find you, right? And if they tag you, then you're out. And if you're hiding, then your role is to try to find the best hiding position ever, hunker down there. And just be quiet. And you remember what it was like. I mean, the person that was it, right? That's what we called them. You're it. Um, We didn't have a better name for it. I mean, come on. We're three years old or whatever we are when we're playing the game. Um, Or 30. Depends on on if if you've ever been a youth pastor or not. Um, All right. So, right. Right, exactly. So, um, where you're hiding, right? And the person comes walking by and you're like, don't even breathe. Just be quiet, you know? And then they pass you by and it's awesome. And one time I was a youth pastor, we were playing hide and seek in this large church in Anchorage, Alaska. And the, uh, this girl, this junior high girl fell asleep. There was this compartment where you could get underneath the stage. She climbed underneath there, fell asleep. We couldn't find her, right? A couple of hours go by. Everyone comes back. And as a youth pastor, after hide and seek, which you don't let those games go very long in the church, that's all dark with teenagers running all over the place. If you get my drift. And so when they get back, you do a head count. One, two, three, four, you know, 75, 100. Uh-oh, where, where's the one? We're missing someone, you know? We're missing someone. So, you know, you got to go find them. Well, it took us a couple hours just to find this girl because she was asleep underneath the stage. It was ridiculous. So anyways, with all that said, that's my old nightmares. I wake up every once in a while going, whoa, where's she at? Um, so um, you're hiding. You get bored from hiding If you've ever played the game, you're wondering to yourself, is the game over and they just didn't find me? Right? So sometimes you just come walking out like, is the game over? Tag. No, go go sit out. You're out of the game. Right? 
Other times you're so bored and anxious and you can't stay focused and you tried to hide, but you couldn't there, you couldn't stay there very long. So then you come out of your hiding spot and you're like, I'm just going to run around. They'll never catch me. And you're running all over the place. And then finally you get tagged and you got to sit out. Now it's really boring, right? Well, in hide and seek the teaching series, if you're anything like me, your prayer life is riddled with side thoughts. It's riddled with, you know, other things that you want to focus on. It's got, it's got anxiety in it. Like, how long can I stay here and pray? I got a lot of things I got to do today. You know, you lose your focus. You, you eventually get to a point in your prayer that you just want to get up, get out into the world and go make it happen. You're like, it's going to think it's going to be a lot easier if I just go out there and fix it myself than it's going to be if I stay here on my knees and keep praying. But is that the truth? Is that really the way that it goes? Is that the way it all pans out? I don't think so. I mean, the bottom line is that if we look at someone that we're supposed to be modeling our lives after, his name is Jesus. If we look at his life alone, Jesus often would hide away and he would seek his father. He often would get away from his disciples, get away from the crowds, get away from all of the so-called success. He would walk away from all the hecticness and the busyness. He would walk away as a leader who could get a lot of his identity from everyone coming and asking him questions and him giving answers. There's a lot of power involved in that. But he walked away from all of that. He would hide and he would seek God. Now, if it worked for Jesus, it surely should be still good enough for us. You know? But why is it so hard? We're going to be really building this teaching series off of the, prince, the principle found in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says this. It says, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. But you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek him with all of your heart. That heart that's not anxious. That heart that's not worrying. That, that heart that's not, I'm just going to go fix this. That, that heart that just quiets itself before God, finds God's heart. That's when you find God. So hide and seek prayer that finds the heart of God. I mean, how many of you guys would raise your hand and you would say, uh, by, by raising your hand, you'd be saying basically, you know what? I have a need, Jeff. I've got a, I've got a problem. I've got a relationship issue, a financial issue. Um, I've got something where I need God's clarity. I need a clear answer from God. I need God's clear direction. I need God to move in my life. How many of you guys would say, I got something like that in my life right now? Okay. I mean, many of you. And if you don't have your hand up, you probably just need to check your pulse. First, make sure you're alive. All right? Because we live, we live on a planet with a lot of problems. We live on a planet with a lot of issues. And those things are happening all around us. Right? And there's always, it seems like, something that just kind of comes out of left field and just nails you. Or like another phrase we use, it's just a curveball of life. It just kind of, boom, it just gets you. You weren't expecting it and then bam, it nails you. We all have things like that, guys. It's okay. It's all right. So first, let your guard down and go, man, it's okay that there's issues in my life that I need a clear answer from God on. For us to, to really find God... For us to really learn what it means to hide and to seek God, what we're going to do is we're going to use a passage of Scripture that's found in the Old Testament. Um, it's called The book is called Nehemiah. Now, if you don't know where the Old Testament book Nehemiah is, and you don't have a digital Bible like on a smartphone or a, a tablet or something like that with you, you got the analog version of a Bible with you, which would be called more the traditional version or the original version, right? So if you've got one of those with you, then open it up to the middle. You'll find the book of Psalms. And then you want to backtrack a couple of books, and that's where you're going to find Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah chapter 1, from verse 4 through 11, is where you're going to find this prayer that Nehemiah prays. We're going to use this prayer. We're going to let this prayer kind of be our path. It's not going to be a formula. We're not looking for a formula for prayer. We're looking for a path for prayer. A lot of religions have created formulas for prayer that are rote things that you quote and that you say over and over again. They're lifeless. They're dead. A path to prayer finds God's heart. It's a path that can take slight different journeys at times. It's heading in a direction to God's heart. It it has places to explore. It has things that you can learn new every single time. It's not just some rote thing that happens over and over again. We want to go on a path to prayer. And we want to use Nehemiah to help us understand how did he pray before God in Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 4 through 11. And then how can we maybe use that same example? In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, Nehemiah basically starts out his prayer and he's broken. And he humbles himself before God and he finds himself crying, mourning, and weeping before God. In verse 5 though, bam, something changes. And here he is, he's praising God and he's in awe of God. And he's declaring how powerful and mighty God is. That's a pretty interesting change. Now we're going to talk about both of those things. And then in in the the last verses, 6 through 11, you find that Nehemiah changes again and he starts repenting to God. He starts getting his life lined up with God. And then in verse 11, he finally actually makes his request to God. So you have from verse 4 all the way through verse 10, there is little request made to God. And then right at the very end, the tail end, he prays this request. It's literally backwards from the way that you and me typically pray. We typically come to God, we have a problem, and we want to make our request to God. We want to tell God our problem and how to fix it. Nehemiah flips all of that on its head, and that's kind of where we want to go today. We, want to, we really want to focus in on finding God's compassion for our need. That's what Nehemiah does in verse 4. In verse 4, Nehemiah is broken and he lays his life down. He's trying to seek after God's compassion for his need. Now, why is that so important, God's compassion for your need? That's the only way that your need is going to find a solution. The solution to your need that you're dealing with today isn't going to be found in just your little ideas. It's not going to be found in the words that you can say out of your mouth to God. It's going to be found in the solution that already is living in God's heart. So Nehemiah, he comes to find God's heart for his need. So if you want to find God's compassion or God's heart for your need, the very first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to let your heart be broken. That's the first thing that Nehemiah did. I mean, take a look with me in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. It says this, that when Nehemiah heard, what did he hear? Let's pause for a minute. What was it that Nehemiah heard? Was when he heard this, he says, I sat down and I wept. And in fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. What was it that Nehemiah heard that caused him to respond that way? Nehemiah was living in what was called Persia, which is really our modern day Iran. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He was a powerful position. He had, a, he had, you know, an audience with the king on a regular basis. I'm sure there was interaction that happened between him and the king. And at that, in that position, Nehemiah had some friends that showed up from Jerusalem of where that's Nehemiah's people, right? But Nehemiah has found himself now in modern day Iran and in Jerusalem, 
the, the Israelites are living and Nehemiah wants to know, how's the city? What's up with the people? How are they doing? Because see, right before this, the Israelites have been in 70 years of captivity in Babylon, which is our modern day Iraq. So they had all their people living in Iraq, in exile, in captivity, basically living as slaves right before this. When Then they had been freed and they had gone back to what we know as Israel and they had moved back into Jerusalem. Nehemiah lives in Iran and he's going, how are the people? How are my people doing? I hope they're doing good. I mean, I, I hope they're just excelling. I hope that they're experiencing the fullness of life with all that God has for them. And the report is, sorry, Nehemiah, it's just the opposite. Our people are in despair. The city walls are broken down. There's holes in the city. The gates are destroyed. And the enemy is coming. He's ravaging. And he's raping, pillaging, and killing. There's just there's torture that's going on. It's, it's, it's horrible. We thought we wanted our freedom. And we get our freedom only to find a whole other captivity. Nehemiah when he hears this, he sat down and he began to cry and he began to weep and he began to mourn for days. What is he doing? What's really happening here? Nehemiah is working on a process to get beyond his soulless emotions to start hearing God's spirit. See, if, if you want to truly begin to hear God's heart for your scenario, no matter what it is, whether it's as devastating as Nehemiah's or it's more minor to you, then you and me have to go on a journey where we have to get beyond our immediate pain. We have to get beyond our grief and our loss. We have to get beyond our revenge. We have to get beyond our humiliation. We have to get beyond our anger. See, what happens is that you have a need right now, right? And your need might bring pain to you. And as it brings that pain to you, then your first response to God is, God, look at my pain. And if you're coming to God and all you're saying to Him is, look at my pain, look at my pain, feel my pain. God, do you really want me to go through this pain? I guarantee you one thing that's not going to happen very easy for you is, you're probably going to find it very difficult to hear God's heart towards the need that you have that's causing the pain. Because all you want is God to heal the pain. God wants to heal the whole, whole situation. Maybe you feel humiliated because whatever happened defamed you. Whatever happened was against you and it's caused your name to be less than what you really want it to be. And you feel this humiliation and you come before God and you're saying to God, God, now, God, I am somebody that loves you. I'm someone that wants to follow you. Why would you let my name have this type of status right now? This is, this is wrong. You know this isn't right, God. This is injustice. And if that's your attitude coming before God, you're going to find it really hard to hear God's heart for the need. You're going to have a hard time hearing God's solution for the problem that you're faced with, along with revenge and anger and anything else. But many times, it's that initial soulish feeling, that action, that, that, uh, that attack that was against us, that we mirror it, we reflect it right back to God, and we go, God, don't you care? God, if, if you even hear me, why don't you deal with my pain, my revenge, my anger, blah, blah, blah. And if that's our response, then we'll never, we'll never find God's heart. So what does Nehemiah do to compensate for this? It says that in verse 4 that Nehemiah wept and he cried and he mourned for a day, an hour, 15 minutes. No, it says that he, he did those things for days. For days. 
But what's the definition of days? Well, I wish I knew. Maybe when you're in heaven, you can ask Nehemiah. What does it mean? How many days did you do that? Was it two days, three days, a week? I don't know. I just know this. He was going to come before God and allow his heart to be broken because he was desperate to see God move. It says that he expressed these emotions of this weeping and this crying. You need to know. It's okay if you're emotionally moved over the need that you have. It's okay. Just know this. Your emotions aren't going to fix your situation. Your emotions may have caused the situation. Now, how are they going to fix it? Your anger may have caused the situation. That's your emotions. What you need is God's spirit to intervene on your behalf to bring about clarity. So, but the tears that are expressed, some of those tears that Nehemiah prayed, uh, that shed were just deep loss. Some of the tears that came out of his, his eyes and just dripped on to the floor were out of hopelessness. But there's also this moment when these tears, they change. They change from the pain and the suffering that you're having to tears of God. If you don't move, nothing's going to happen. There's those tears of, God, unless your heart moves on on my behalf, nothing's going to happen because I can't fix it. I can't change it. Only you can. I'm telling you, that's where you want your tears to get. That's where you want your mourning to get. You want them to go beyond your soul to that spirit where your spirit's connecting with God's spirit, where your heart is connecting with God's compassion for your need and where your emotions are moved in such a way where you finally get to a point where you just say, God, unless you move, nothing can happen. I am, I've been broken and you're coming alive in me. Great examples of this are found in the one we're supposed to be modeling our life after, Jesus. Jesus in the garden right before he's arrested and then he's taken to be whipped and scourged and then put on the cross and dies. In the garden says that he's praying with such intensity, mourning, weeping, that blood is literally coming out of his pores, out of his sweat glands, blood is dropping. We know medically this is actually possible. That's the intensity that he's under. And in that moment, he prays this incredible prayer If there's any way that we can change the plan, if there's any way we can do something different, let's change it. This this thinking about this scourging, thinking about this cross is is a weight that I can barely bear. But then he says, as he prays God's heart, his Father's heart, he goes, but nevertheless, let your will be done. A man knows the torture and the pain that he's getting ready to discover is able to pray, let your will be done. What's happened there? He's found God's compassion. What was God's compassion? Son, you're going to go die on the cross. So Jesus shows the ultimate compassion. Let your will be done. Let my life die that their lives might live. So you only come to a conclusion like that when you quiet yourself and God's spirit starts speaking. And then you start lining yourself up with God's heart for the answer to the solu- for the solution that you're looking for. Just a few hours later, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he prays another prayer that comes from God's heart, not from a man's heart. He prays the, the prayer and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Which, which human heart in this room or in our gymnasium, which human heart prays a prayer like that for a group of people that just put nails through their flesh 
have scourged them and whipped them almost to death itself and have hung them for the world to humiliate? Who prays out of a human heart, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? God's heart prays that. And as Jesus quiets his own emotions and quiets his own soul, out of his mouth starts coming the compassion of God for his own people. Forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. Jesus, in the shortest verse of the Bible, example number three, the shortest verse of the Bible, if you don't know anything about the Bible, use this in trivia, it might win you a million dollars. And if it does, remember me. Jesus wept. Okay? Why did he weep? He weeps because his, his buddy, his friend, Lazarus, he finds out is dead. Pretty emotional. Found out my friend died. Says that Jesus wept. Now, somewhere between Jesus weeping and Jesus standing in front of the tomb of Lazarus and speaking to the tomb and speaking to Lazarus and saying, Come forth! And the dead body of Lazarus comes walking out of this tomb all wrapped up in all of his burial garb. Something radical transforms in the heart. He goes from weeping, concerned the loss of his friend, to I have faith to believe that my friend's coming back to life. What happens? He gets beyond his emotions, gets back to the heart of God, and God goes, his father says, I want you to go to that place and I want you to say these words and I, by the power of my spirit, am going to raise him back to life for my glory. And Jesus goes from weeping to proclaiming great statements of faith. That doesn't happen, guys, unless you quiet your soul to start hearing God's spirit. Are you hearing me right now? This is what Nehemiah is doing in verse 4 as he's weeping and he's mourning for days and he's fasting. He's getting away. He's trying to just, he's trying to break down self so he can get God's solution for something that's so massive that he, he can't fix it on his own. But let's look at some things that Nehemiah's not doing. Nehemiah's not coming before God and just talking the entire time. He doesn't just come before God and go, we don't have Nehemiah chapter 1. Words, just words and words and words because that's the way our prayer would look. God, I can't believe this. My house is burnt down. I lost this. I lost that. It would just be words and words. That's not what he does. Nehemiah doesn't go into humanistic fix-it mode. How many of you guys are those kind of people? You're, you just want to fix things. Some of you, you like to tinker with things. You just like to fix things. Any tinkers and fix things people? And some of you are then fix people people. You know, you're the kind of person that you hear probably like, oh, I'm going to fix that. You know, I'm going to sit down right now and give them point one, two, and three of how to fix their life. And if you don't know who you are at your next big family gathering, just ask. You'll find out. They'll tell you. They'll tell you, stop trying to fix me all the time. Okay? So you, some of you are tinker people. Some of you are fix people people. I'm a, I'm a tinker. I like to fix things. I find things that are wrong and I either tell people fix that or I fix it myself because that's what I like to do. And so we, we own some properties in Omaha where we came from. Uh, our youngest daughter, Christian, her husband and her two kids, they recently moved into one of those properties. And I was in Omaha a couple of weeks ago for our granddaughter's first birthday. Come on. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. Man, she's cute. I love it. 
So we have three, we have three grandchildren and our youngest, so our youngest daughter has two, two of them. It's interesting how the youngest has two, right? It's, 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 it's interesting dynamic. Okay. So she has two. She has this little girl, Ailey. She just turned one year old. It was awesome. I, 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 let me give you some recommendations. All right. If you are going to have a first, uh, first birthday for a child, I'm going to recommend go away from the cake. It's a lot of waste of money anyways. All right. For one picture, go for the cupcake. This cupcake that my little granddaughter grabbed a hold of, which she could in the palm of her hand, it took up her entire hand. It immediately went over her face like an oxygen mask. My daughter, Christian, literally had to clean the icing out of her nostrils so this little girl could breathe while the cupcake was jammed in her mouth. And I was like, I love you. Right. Icing. She's breathing icing. It's amazing. It was incredible. Icing was everywhere. It was, it was a fun, fun moment. But let me tell you what I was in. I was in fix-it mode the whole time I was there. Well, I own the property, so a good landlord needs to keep his properties up. And so I brought my tools and some things, and I went around and fixed things. And the whole weekend, I was just fixing things, fixing things, fixing things, fixing things. I mean, the, I looked at the screen door. You know, I looked at the glass, the sliding glass doors into the back uh, back porch. And I noticed that, you know, the blinds, they were different. You know, the last tenants had broke them, and they went and bought old ones and stuck them up there. And they didn't match. And I'm like, I don't like that. Some are long, some are short. It doesn't even open right. So I ripped it off the wall and I went to the store and put a new one up. And I looked at the front door and I was like, the front screen door doesn't close right. So I tried to fix the latch. I couldn't fix it. So I just went to the store and bought a whole new mechanism, put a brand new handle on it. It looked awesome, man. And you know, and it closed right. And I was so proud of it. And I just opened it and watched it close, open it, watch it close, open it, watch it close. Yeah, I was like a three-year-old with a ball. It was amazing. Right? And so I went from there to noticing that the blinds, some of the balances on the blinds had been broken off because they didn't know how to take them down to clean. And they broke the clips and they didn't hang right. So I went and I found the clips. I had to drive all over Omaha to find these things. And I find them and I, I clip it back up there and I go, okay, now that looks good. And then I go into the bathroom and I see the notorious towel rack hanging off the wall. Oh, you towel rack. Right? You can't really put any weight on those things and out of the wall they come. And so I go to the store and I buy the piece I need to fix that. And then, then the last tenants decided to rewire the internet and the cable down in the furnace room. And I'm like, what did you guys do here? No one even knows where the cables run. So I, I cut things and I redo it and I put a, an amplifier in and I wire it all back up because I know how to do that. Come on, that's your pastor. Right. All right. And then don't ask me where I learned how to do that though. Okay. Um, and then the stove, the stove was like, it was uneven. You would put weight on it and go clunk and clunk and clunk. And so you got to, you know, screw those things. Well, you can't get back in there because there's cabinets. So you pull it out, you adjust it, you push it back in. But while you're pushing it back in, guess what happens to the little screwy thing? It screws back. So now it's, you pull it out, fix it, push it back in. So you got to figure that out. Now I know how to do that. I got that down. I put a barbecue grill together. I, I even repaired the front end of her car where she pulled up too far. Where one of those, um, you know, those things that are yellow, painted yellow that say, when you park your car, don't go beyond this point. You know those spots. And you go, you know, and you rip the whole front end of your car off. So I zip tied that back together. And then I met... And then I met with a contractor because there's a, a small leak coming into the basement through the foundation and that has to be fixed. Now that's a big list all over a one-year-old's birthday party. Not bad, huh? Not bad. 
Yeah, I would, I'm actually kind of proud of myself. I have more, if you want me to tell you more. It was awesome. But let me just tell you this. As the weekend got to the, almost the very end, we was only like a day and a half we were there. As it got to the end, something went, a, a, like an alarm went off on the inside of me. And it's like the Holy Spirit said to me, you got a lot of things done here with your hands, but you missed out on some of the best stuff. And you'll never get that back. So you fixed a lot of things. But you missed out on some of the birthday party. You missed out on talking to some of the guests. You missed out on loving on your kids. You just missed out on a lot because you were so busy just fixing little things. And I say to you today, that if your prayer life is just all about talk, you talking to God, talk, 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 guess what? You're missing out on a lot that God has for you. And you'll, you can never get those moments back. So, how about we start creating those moments and not miss out on them anymore? So Nehemiah, he doesn't just talk. He, he takes time to listen. And that means that if you're going to do that, you have to quiet yourself. You have to quiet yourself. That's what Matthew chapter 6 has to say to us. It says that when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. God already knows your problem. God already knows the issue that you're having. God already has the answer. You're not going to find the answer by just talking. You're going to find the answer by quieting yourself. That's what the weeping, the mourning, just quieting myself, coming before Him, going, God, what's your heart for my situation? It's not going to be found with just you talking. Another thing it's not going to help you find it is if you're just worrying. If you're just a worrier. Because what do you do when you worry? A lot of you, when you worry, you talk. Just because you don't know what else to say. When you're nervous, you talk. You know? And I'm telling you that, that worry is not where you're going to find the answer. That's what Philippians chapter 4 says. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about, pray about everything. Worrying about your scenario is not where you're going to sense God's compassion for your need. Because that's what you need to pray. It's when you quiet yourself that you're going to start hearing God. Worry is basically just a form of faithlessness. But faith in God is a great antidote against worry when you put your faith in god when you come to god and you quiet yourself and you go god i know you have the answer for this not me that dissolves the worry but one last piece of advice when it comes to how do you quiet yourself to start sensing god's compassion for your need is psalms 46 it says be still and know that i am god it's when you're still it's not when you're talking it's when you're still and you're just Getting before God, you're going, God, I'm gonna, I'm waiting here. That God starts reminding you how amazing He is, how powerful He is. God starts reminding you that your problem is minuscule to mine. I mean, remember, you have your problem that's affecting you, one human, living in one state, in one country, on one planet, in one solar system, in a massive galaxy, sitting in an incredibly huge universe, God created it all. How big is your need? And how powerful is God 
to be able to answer it. See, when you are still before God, then God says, let me remind you, I am God. And then all of a sudden, things start coming into perspective for you. And your life starts being transformed. You start hearing God's heart. Now you've got something to pray that's powerful. The, the second thing, very quickly, that Nehemiah does is that he, he finds God's compassion uh, by sacrificing himself, which is the same thing you're going to have to do. You're going to have to sacrifice yourself. So in verse 4, it says that for days Nehemiah fasted. A fast is something that he fasted from food. He fasted from other people. He fasted from his agenda. He got away from all of those things and he, he quieted himself, but he also sacrificed something before God. He recognized that he was so desperate for God to move that he was willing to give anything. And if you want to see something great happen in your life, there's going to require a sacrifice. Like back in May 29, May 29th of 1953, Edmund Hillary made a great sacrifice as he planned and prepared to climb to the top of Mount Everest and be the very first man to climb to the top in return. And on that day, he summited Mount Everest, stood on the highest point of all of the known earth, and as one human being, he stood there and declared to the world, I'm the first one to be here, as he came back down the mountain to report of it. Now, there was a great sacrifice required on his part to get prepared, to get ready, to make the investment, to go through the, the training, to actually climb the mountain, which takes a long period of time to go up and to come back down with the acclimation and everything. That was a huge sacrifice. He sacrificed his, his life to the elements that were around him to, be, do some, to do something great. And the greatness is that he's known for now for eternity on this earth as the first man to ever summit that. So if you want something great in your life, like greatness, like God answering a prayer, then it's going to require a sacrifice at times. That's just what's going to happen. But how are you going to find that sacrifice? Is it going to be you going, okay, well, God, I'm going to write down a list of things I could sacrifice. Like I could sacrifice food. I could sacrifice TV. God, I could give up my my Friday nights to you. God, I'll give up. I'll wake up a half hour early if that's what you want me to do. I mean, is it you just going down the list and finding all the ways you can sacrifice and then just circling one randomly or picking the easiest one? Is that how you find what's going to honor God in a sacrifice? And I would say to you the answer to that is absolutely not. What will honor God, though, is if you practice what Nehemiah did first, you quiet yourself and you start going, God, what is your heart for my problem? And as God starts to reveal that, guess what God will do? God will let you know if a sacrifice is needed. And the sacrifice might be God going, you want to see the answer to this? Why don't you join me every morning a half hour early? God, I'll do that. You join me. You give me your first half hour and let's pray about this. Or God might say, why don't, you, why don't you consider fasting for a couple of days? Just get away from food and just give me your breakfast, your lunch, or your dinner. You take those moments and you pray. God will let you know what the sacrifice is. If you know, any, if you, if you know anything about the Bible, you go back to the Old Testament. God made it clear to his people the sacrifice that was needed for a particular action, for a particular festival, for a certain celebration. God made it clear. There was no gray area. God made it super clear when he said, I'm going to send Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice for your sin. That's clear. God will also make it clear to you if a sacrifice is needed in the sense of your prayer. You and me need to take time to listen to God. And when we listen to God, we will see God move. It's the old adage, no pain, no gain. And at times, 
There is a little bit of a giving up of your comfort, giving up of something you enjoy, giving up of something you, you really hold near and dear to your heart to give it up, to seek after God, to see God move. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. But one maybe last important fact is that when Nehemiah prayed, he directed his prayer to God. You go, duh, Jeff. I mean, that's what the, that's why he's in the Bible. He was a man that was, you know, seeking after God. That's why the book was written, right? Yeah, that's true. However, but what you need to know about him directing his prayer to God was, in Nehemiah's heart, he realized, only you can answer it. And when you and me come before God, we need to come with that kind of heart that says, I know God, you can answer my prayer. You and you alone. And if without you, I'm going to fall flat on my face. I'm going to, I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall. I'm going to make the situation worse than making it better. And in Nehemiah's life, spoiler alert, if you're going to read the book, Nehemiah sees the answer to his prayer. And he sees it because he rebuilds the walls. He gets the, he gets to go all the way to Jerusalem and help rebuild the walls. And he does it in 52 days. That's phenomenal. He sees the answer to his prayer. Nehemiah is a great example, but if today you're having maybe a little hard time grasping exactly what I'm talking about, just listen to this last example of the one we're supposed to model our lives after, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. What is reverent submission? What does that really mean? To come before God and recognize, you've got the answers, I don't. You already know what the solution is before I've even asked you. I'm going to quiet myself. I'm going to mourn. I'm going to weep, basically. I'm going to get alone with you. I'm going to, I'm going to push through my flesh. I'm going to push past all my mind and all of its crazy thoughts. And I'm going to get quiet before you and let you speak your solution to my problem into my heart. I want to hear, I want to feel your compassion for my problem. And then he begins to pray God's heart. That's where you're going to see prayers answered. Reverent submission. He quieted himself. He didn't bring his solution to God, but he waited on God to give him his God's solution. And he was willing to sacrifice. Those are the three things you got to hang on to today. Quiet yourself so that you can hear God's voice. Resist the temptation to bring your solution, but seek and strive after hearing God's solution. And then be willing to offer a sacrifice, no matter what it is. That's the first thing Nehemiah does. Next week, you'll hear the second thing. But today, what you need to do is this. I want to challenge you. We have altars at our church at New Life, in both of our venues. We have altars. Altars are in the front of our auditoriums. They're places that you can kneel down and you can pray. Guess what an altar was used for in the Old Testament? A sacrifice. Maybe today, maybe today God's going, you know what a sacrifice for you would be? Why don't you bring your need to me and kneel down and just pray. My God, but other people would think that I have a need that's really bad. And they will think less than me. Well, you have to get over that. You know, you're going to have to lay, you have to be able to lay that aside. Become a little humble and go, God, I'll do whatever it is. The, these altars though, the altars are, are typically looked at as for the people that are, got real issues. They're broken. They're, man, they got problems. No, the altars at New Life are completely the opposite. These are for the hungry. These are for people that just want more of God. 
These are for people that are just going, God, I need you in my life. God, I need you to move in my life. I want to encourage you today. As our worship teams play, and they're going to encourage you to sing. There's some great songs of just declaring this kind of first week heart before God. But maybe for you, it's God's going, I want you to quiet yourself and come to an altar and kneel down and bring your issue to me and let me heal it. Let me tell you what's in my heart. I want you to find God today. And I want you to do that beyond the words that are being sung. I want you to do that beyond the tempo that's being played. I want you to go beyond the song and I want you to seek after God's spirit today. Hear his heart and apply that to your life. That's where you're going to see God move in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your issues, in the midst of your need. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you today. We know that one thing is true. You are ultimately in control of all things. And Lord, if we come to you with all of our suggestions on how, we, how you can fix our problem, then we get up and we walk away. Have we truly fixed the problem? No, because true faith says that we have to come and we have to listen for you first. We find out what your heart is concerning our need, and then we pray it. God, one thing we know for certain is this, that you have great compassion for our needs. You care about our needs even before we ask Even before we present the problem, you already know what it is. You've already cared about it. You've already got the solution for it. So God, today, I pray for this congregation. I pray for those that are listening and watching us. And I pray for them that they would quiet themselves and they would hear you. They would team up with you and they would pray your heart for their need. And that through that, they would begin to see you move in miraculous ways. To begin to see your spirit transform their life, transform their relationships, their work, their finances, whatever their need is. God, we trust you. Our heart is yours. Our heart belongs to you. But all we need is you, Jesus. But our life, my life right now is in your hands, God. And unless you move on our hearts, how we're going nowhere. So may we today, in both of our venues, quiet ourselves before the Lord and seek you and know you and make you known in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.